and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table. I'm your host, Taylor Jackson, and today we'll start our Dental School Declassified series with interviewing the graduating class so that we can gather advice and listen in on their dental school experience. Let's get started. And today we have two very special guests, Asia, Ken, if you guys can introduce yourselves and say a little bit about who you are. (laughs) Hey, everybody. My name is Asia Brienne Greenleaf, DDS, class of 2020, Meharry Medical College. I am a West Virginia native. I am pursuing um, a career in general dentistry. So I will be starting an AEGD program in the coming weeks. Excited to be here to talk to you guys. How are you guys doing? Um, I'm Kenneth Carter, but I go by Ken. Um, I am a recent graduate of Meharry Medical College, class of 2020. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, and I'll be making my way up to the University of Michigan to pursue orthodontics for the next three years. Um, And I'm very excited to be on the show today. All right. Well, we're happy to have you guys today. Um, And I guess to dive right into our main discussion for our uh, declassified series here, why did you guys choose dentistry? Um, What was your journey to dental school like? So for me, I actually got interested in dentistry by watching my siblings undergo orthodontic treatment. So I just, it was, I was amazed how their, tra- their smiles were transformed and in turn, their self-confidence was transformed. And so I just started asking questions and tagging along at appointments. Um, so I came to dental school after pursuing some other interests. I thought about doing higher ed. So I took two years off um, after I graduated college in 2014. And then I realized while I was working in an admissions office that I could still do dentistry and then maybe trying to get into academia as well. So that's kind of the route that I took. I don't want to be an orthodontist, so we can scratch that. <laughs> but that's my current plan. Yeah, so for me, um, I, f- I figured out that I wanted to go into dentistry, um, I guess, a little later. I know some people have the story of going to their first uh, dentist appointment or dental appointment and, and discovering their passion and love for dentistry. But um, I originally wanted to go um, the medical route, um, or at least, you know, so I thought. So when I got to undergrad, um, I kind of built my, my entire schedule around a pre-med track. Um, I came to find out after a couple of visits um, and shadows with physicians that it wasn't necessarily the direction that I wanted to go, but I did notice that um, I enjoyed shadowing general practitioners or PCPs um, more so than I did a lot of the specialists. Um, I found that the PCPs were, were spending a lot more interpersonal time and in developing interpersonal um, relationships with their patients. And that was something that I was, um, that was very important to me. I spent my uh, time undergrad majoring in biology and psychology. So it seemed as though those two um, majors could somehow be used in a field where I would be able to be um, a primary care provider. So I went and did a couple more shadows, um, and I I shadowed an optometrist, and then I shadowed a dentist. Um, And it was at that moment where it was like I knew. Um, I can't even really explain what the feeling was, but I I recognized that that feeling along with 
the feeling of being charged about what I was experiencing, seeing the type of interpersonal relationships and interactions that were going on between the healthcare providers and their patients, um, along with seeing so much psychology and psychological principles being used in those spaces to alleve, alleviate anxiety. Um, it, when, I, when I put all that stuff together, it, it came to be passion to me. That's what I understood it to be. So um, from that point forward, I knew that I wanted to go into the industry. And when I looked into the, the numbers of what it looked like um, as far as representation was concerned for African-Americans in the field, um, I've got that much more charged up about it. Um, Absolutely. Very important to me that um, we have representation in, across the medical field, but specifically in this industry, because we know how important it is to have people that look like you in these spaces for something as simple as, as comfort and something as important as compliance. You know, so um, that all that together, just it, it made it very clear to me that that was where I was supposed to be going. Um, that tied in with that, I was also, I developed a, a strong passion for public health. On the south side of Chicago, there are a lot of avenues in which um, have been developed to support medical and dental care for um, the, the residents of the south side of Chicago that oftentimes don't receive the type of treatment that they deserve and that they need. So um, I spent a year working for the CDC following graduation, um, and I did public health research with NIOSH. Um, and it was during that time that I started um, pretty much setting up my trajectory to get into dental school. And I was blessed enough to, to receive acceptance to Mary Medical College the following year. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting hearing different people's like journeys go, getting to dental school because it's all different, you know, and we get here and it's like, okay, we're going to carry out the passion that uh, was ignited in us when we, you know, submitted our applications. And now when you guys graduate, like how you guys are now, you can finally, um, <clears throat> excuse me, carry out uh, that dream and that passion that you guys had. Um, and both of you guys are very involved, uh, in school. You guys were in a whole bunch of leadership positions. How did you guys balance your personal life and dental school? And when you experienced burnout, like, what did you do? So I think, I don't, I think had I not taken, um, two years off, taken a gap year, I don't think I would have really understood the importance and been able to like process the need for this balance. Um, having that time off, I was able to experience a life not being a student and having time to do what I wanted to do. So when I got accepted into dental school and um, came to Meharry, um, one thing that was very important for me is my family life. I'm married at the time. I was um, in a three, four year long relationship and my husband moved with me. So he made the, he made the career change to come to dental school with me, which was awesome. And so when you have things like that happen, I had to acknowledge his sacrifice. And so D one year, uh, it, it was very clear. We made a, we had a discussion. It was a conscious decision to make sure that we always had time for us. Um, certain days of the week were just off limits. I went and study on Fridays. That was our day to have like date nights. And then I, from there with his assistance and then just with myself, you know, my self-awareness, always making sure that I had penciled in time for myself. But Ken will tell you, my classmates will tell you, um, I intentionally lived about an hour from school my first two years. Oh, wow. Because I value <laughs> my space and my privacy. I would rather get up an hour early and drive to school to be on time if that means I can leave dentistry at Meharry after five. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I was able to separate myself. I did a lot of my studying on my own because that works for me, but it also made it to where I was able to be in my space. And when I needed to shut it off, I could. Um, Going through dental school, it's a lot of stress. Any dental student that you talk to will tell you burnout is normal. (laughs) It's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. What you have to do is try and manage it. And over the four years, I tried multiple things. Um, Working out is a great outlet for some. It's not something that really works for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But one thing that I did really find a love for in during dental school was yoga. Um, Mm. It's not, you know, I may not be dripping sweat, but just that, just that time to, you know, have a workout, but still calm my mind was very necessary. Um, Learning to meditate and to be, you know, to be mindful of the thoughts that are coming through my head. That helped me a lot with burnout because the wheels are always turning. When you're in preclinical, you're trying to make sure you remember um, the, you make sure you remember your anatomy, where, which cusp, you know, contacts here, all of that things, all of those things. And I needed to find something that would slow my brain down and let me think about Asia and what Asia needed, as opposed to what Meharry or what dental school wanted from me. Um, I also made sure I was pretty organized. I like to joke that for my class, I'm like the walking encyclopedia, (laughs) but that's just because if I'd like, I have notes about everything. I have stuff in my phone. Um, my planner saved my life multiple times. Um, and being organized in that way and staying on top of stuff really helped me balance it out. Um, in addition to doing the things that I need to do for self care, because if you don't do those things, it just makes it, it would make it like 10 times more difficult and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but just making that conscious decision to find that balance and find the way to manage manage it early on was the best thing that I could have done. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I agree. Um, Asia knows uh, that, like, I guess halfway through our dental uh, dental school career, um, I picked up pretty heavy with a few of my classmates. Um, uh, a pretty strict workout routine. Um, we spent a lot of time at the Y the past three years or so. Um, and it gave me something to look forward to at the end of the day. Um, it was something it, that was difficult, you know, don't get me wrong. Like it, it was, it was hard to go to the gym following, um, uh, a day, a full day at Meharry, but it was never a day that after I went that I regretted. I, I always felt more, um, relieved, relaxed. I felt um, at peace. I felt balanced when I would leave that. Cause I, it, I felt that the day then represented me pouring into myself mentally and educationally along with physically. It, I, it gave me balance. And um, that balance gave me like mental stability, you know, so yeah. it translated. And I think that that helped me a lot um, throughout the, the past four years, but also too with the involvement. Um, I know in Asia could probably speak to this as well. Like people probably w- will look at us and say that we were very involved um, in, in dental school, but the truth of the matter is, at least for me, is that I didn't involve myself in things that I weren't passionate about. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't take on positions just to say that I had them. It happened to be multiple positions that I was passionate about, and it didn't feel like a task to me. You know, some some days is, is more overwhelming than others, but um, you know, 
if, if you're passionate about minority representation in the dental field, then SNDA is not sure. You know what I mean? Like if you're passionate about education and its structure and what it looks like for dentistry, ADEA is not a chore. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that you're passionate about. And I know that um, me and Asia have had conversations before and that those are things that we continue to be, we plan to continue to be involved with, um, like organized dentistry long beyond dental school. You know, so it, it, it made that, um, the, this privileged burden of being, you know, in these leadership positions, not as, um, difficult i feel like because we were passionate about the roles that we had um so i think that that is important but as far to touch a little bit on the burnout that like Asia said the burnout is real that's going to happen dental school is a a marathon like no other it's i I don't think it matters where it matters where you go it is a extremely taxing process It's rewarding at the end um but i think one of the biggest things that i've had to learn is that you're not going to be motivated all the time and that's okay. Like you're human. Um, but when motivation falls, discipline needs to pick up. Um, you have to practice discipline in the moments that you're not motivated because at the end of the day, things still need to get done, you know, and it, we, we knew that we chose a, a difficult path. Um, but I promise you the reward is, is very sweet. And even in the midst of a, a COVID pandemic, graduating has been by far the, one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Mm. without a doubt. One thing I think I would also like to mention when you talk about balancing your personal life and then burnout. um, One thing that I started doing towards the end of my D2 year, I actually started going and seeing one of the therapists. So Mm. a lot of dental schools, they do have mental health services and things of that nature. And it wasn't that I felt like, oh my goodness, I'm extremely depressed or that I was having anything that was what others may view as extreme. Um, we just, every year we have them, they come in and talk about wellness and mental health. And I was just thinking, you know, it might be good to go talk to somebody. Um, and you just, I mean, it's just an hour. I would maybe go like once a month or when clinics started, it got, it was less than that, but I think it was really helpful, um, to talk to somebody just about my daily stresses and just be like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't have anything to say, but we'll just talk about the fact that the sky is blue today and I'm happy that it's not raining. Um, <laughs> little things like that. And I think it's important because we're going into this profession, we're going into um, the medical field when we talk about representation as black people, you have to acknowledge the stigma that is there around mental illness. Um, Absolutely. And even though we aren't psychiatrists, psychologists, being able to share that as someone who, Oh, well, you're the dentist. Well, I'm the dentist, but when I get in the chair, some, like sometimes we are psychologists. They will tell us their whole life and they will tell you all of their stressors and you have to listen. Um, and I think one thing that I saw at an office that I shadowed at, um, they actually had brochures for, for um, mental, like mental health, mental awareness and things of those natures. If you needed any of the hotlines and things of that nature, I think that's something that I would like to incorporate into my practice in the future just because I've seen the benefits of it myself. And I don't think that we as dental students should be ashamed to say, hey, I went and talked to somebody. Absolutely. Real quick, moment of transparency. So (laughs) this is for anybody that's listening. Asia is probably one of the people that I'm closest with in the class. And ironically enough, I never knew that she went and talked to somebody um, and just went in and and invested in her mental wellness. But it, even with that being said, it has encouraged me as well to be transparent about the fact that my D3 year, I actually spent time as well 
I went for a full year and I went and spoke with a therapist, another young black man that was superb at his, at his job. Um, and I felt like it, it was, it was extremely revelational for me in the same sense that, that you're saying, Asia, like it's okay to need help with things. You know what I mean? And, and there is, that's the reason why these resources exist. Um, I know that it can be particularly challenging as Asia said us for us as um, African-Americans to move forward with any type of pursuit of mental wellness and mental health because it is stigmatized um, or just discouraged, you know, historically in our community, specifically for black men. Um, it's a lot of um, tropes that exist around um, hyper-masculinity in our, in our spaces. And I, I use that word lightly mm-hmm. um, in the sense that I think that it's, it's expected for us to be able to rectify a lot of the emotional or mental traumas that we face on our own. And, and it, it, that hasn't worked. We've seen that that hasn't worked and it doesn't work, you know? So being able to spend some time with another African-American man that was trained to help me understand and overcome some of the mental traumas really that I didn't even recognize that exist, um, I think was extremely edifying. And I honestly probably have to accredit him to um, my successful matriculation out of third year into fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important, you know, it's important. And, I, and it's ironic considering the fact that I just mentioned that I was, I was majoring in psychology and biology in undergrad, um, knowing the importance of a healthy mind and still, ex, still experiencing the education of psychology externally. You know what I mean? Like learning about psychology and still seeing it outside of myself um, was an issue. You know, it, it didn't matter that I received a formal education in, in that major. And me as a black man, it still trumped the formal education that I got um, and, and resulted in me not pursuing proper mental health and mental wellness resources. But I can say that dental school is so demanding. It'll make you do things you didn't think you would do. Yeah. <laughs> it helped. And thank you for that moment of transparency uh, from the both of you guys. Um, you know, the importance of mental health and then even for what that means in the black community. Um, and if you guys even could elaborate on what you think your toughest moments were in dental school, but even, you know, some of your best moments as well. So whew, my toughest moments, and I, we get asked this all the time, and I just, I can give you a laundry list because when you're in the heat of the moment, all of your tough moments just seem like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And then you get through them and you think, okay, it really wasn't that bad. Um, I think the toughest moment that I had was just realizing that, you know, the field that I'm going into, um, um, we're, we are very underrepresented. And when, even at an HBCU, even at Meharry, you still see certain cultures, um, that frustrates you for me as a woman. Um, Mm. And I had, I just, you know, I just had an incident, an incident where I was just like, I just, I just don't understand how this is okay. Um, And it was like, it was hard to wrap my head around it because when I, when certain things happen and when you feel like you've been mistreated, whether it's by a patient, um, which in my case it was, (laughs) (laughs) a patient got mad, cussed us out, screamed, left with an access opening would not let us temporize a tooth. And in that moment I was, you know, I I can shrug a lot of stuff off like, okay, whatever. Um, But I just was like, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. 
this like it just hit me because I this was the fourth year I was like this is what I'm gonna have to deal with you came here because you needed my help but now you don't want my help and then it becomes a racial or a misogynistic sexist thing Mm. um and that was really tough to like just process and again that goes in with you know self-care like you know like your positive talk like being able to say you know what I did what I was supposed to do. And in this situation, I wasn't even the treating dentist. Um, I was actually assisting. It was a tough day. I got a needle stick that same day. And then before the day was over, I'm getting cussed out and the whole entire clinic can can hear it. It was crazy. Um, But I will say the benefit of being in a community like class of 2020 at Meharry, when I say everybody came to our aid, all of my classmates, Everybody left what they were doing to see what it was. Um, male classmates escorted the patient out. Security dealt with the patient. Um, Caucasian classmates spoke up and said, this is not going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. That is my overall toughest moment. Because in that moment, you try, and main, you try and remain professional. But then when it's over, you just keep thinking back on it. My best moment... Of course, graduating, but in this process with graduating, I would say my best moment is just how watching how my class has handled all of the changes that were caused by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We really got the short end of the stick, and I know we all feel like that, but I'm claiming it. D4 got the short end of the stick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the best moment is just seeing how realizing at that moment through all of our stresses and through all of, you know, the stuff that we go through, seeing how close my class actually was and how we were working together to get the information we need to graduate information. We need to get licensure. Um, and just trying to see who would need a place to stay. If something goes wrong, if leases go up before we finish, all of that was just such a rewarding experience because I was able to leave knowing like we may not like each other all the time, but we are the family that they talked about when I, when I walked onto Meharry's campus. Mm-hmm. We are, we did that. We became the family, not faculty, not staff, mm-hmm. not the auxiliary pe- uh, personnel that we work with. Our class really banded together. Um, and I think when I had that aha moment, I was, it was really like, I was ready to cry. <laughs> I was ready to cry because that I, I was just so proud of us. And it's, it's a little different as the class president, I think. Um, but watching how we handled this was probably one of the best things for me. A silver um, lining. Right. No, yeah, really. Silver lining. Very true. Very true. Um, I think the hardest, so I'll preface by saying this. I love my now second alma mater. I love Meharry Medical College. Um, I would have never in a million years chose to go anywhere else. Um, But I think that one of the hardest moments for me um, or toughest moments for me in the last four years was um, the realization that the institution still had a responsibility to prepare me for my own personal awareness of my blackness going into an industry that doesn't look like me. Mm. Um, and I, I think specifically I experienced that or was the most salient to me during my third year applying to, um, to residency. Um, I had been asked mo- many times by faculty about 
um, what my expected presentation would be at interviews. You know, did I plan to cut my hair? Um, don't take pictures with earrings in. Um, any of those things that might classify you as too black um, for these institutions that are not ready for that type of representation. And I think that that was probably the most disheartening for me because I have mentees that look up to me and value you know, what I say because I look like them. Mm-hmm. I sound like them. You know, I grew up in a similar space as them. And it was, it was disheartening to think that I would have to ch- change that, wear a mask to, ele- to elevate to the next level that I aspire to do. Um, and the reality of it is, is that, I, and this, and this it kind of it leads into one of my most rewarding moments was that I didn't have to dull down my blackness um, <laughs> to, to get accepted into the institution that I'm now going to. Um, at the end of the day, it would, it would never be a matter of, of my hair or my earrings. All of those things are representations of a culture that I am a part of that is black. Absolutely. They didn't want me because I was black. It was nothing that I could have done with my hair, with my clothes, with my earrings that was going to, that was going to change that. So it's, it's super important to me that moving forward that I continue to look like black old Ken because that's who I am. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I don't ever want to get to the point where the people that we expected to, to help pull up behind us feel disconnected because they can't connect with us on something as simple as culture. You know, so I think that was probably the most difficult thing for me was going through the debate on whether or not I was going to have to change who I was fundamentally for an institution. And I, and I think ultimately I had to decide that if I had to pretend to be somebody to get in, I would have to pretend to be somebody to stay in. And mm. I wasn't willing to do that. Um, so the most rewarding part had been my acceptance into the University of Michigan's orthodontic residency because I didn't have to bend or bow. Um, and, and a lot of the times I think it's revelational that, um, and, and I have to speak this from a, Christ, a Christ-centered perspective because that's really what guided me in my execution of this. My, de- my decision to walk in myself whole, you know, and fully is that if the door is too small for you to get through, if it's open, then maybe you still shouldn't go through it, you know? So I think I'm at the point now where it's like, I, that moment of me getting accepted into residency, um, it, it, it revealed to me that you can go and be exactly who you are, support and, and represent the people that you're supposed to, to represent and support, encourage the next generation or the next black man, black woman, you know, to pursue these arenas that we aren't present in because mm-hmm. it's possible, you know? So I think that would, that would have to be my most, well, one of my most rewarding moments um, in tandem with what Asia said, actually, just the way that our class has been very, very um, perseverant in, in what is a really unprecedented time. And even with you guys being D4s, you know, with your toughest moments and your best moments, are there any tips you think you can give to the rising uh, fourth year class that you know you, something maybe you would have even done differently I think um, that one of the biggest um, pieces of advice that I could give to the fourth year class um, is something that is, is said a lot but it I feel like it just warrants cont- to continually be stated that every single day that it is possible for you to have a patient on your schedule maximize it 
And then the, the moments that you don't have a patient still come to school. Um, I can't even tell you how many um, procedures that I was able to take on as a result of me being on campus um, in moments that I didn't have a patient. Um, it, 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 if nothing else, it ensures that you get out on time. Um, the, the professors acknowledge and they receive like um, and, and a, a present student, you know what I mean? Like when it comes time for, not to say that this will happen for people, but even in the moments where it comes time for, um, you know, us to, or you to get close to graduation, professors pay attention to the students that have been present um, and try to make sure that they get what they need to be done on time because they've been diligent. They've been professional in their approach to the clinics. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and, and realistically, if you're there every day, even in the moments where you don't have patients and trying to ensure that you have patients as much as possible, you'll finish early. Um, we, we had a number of people in our class who finished before spring break. And it made the, this whole experience of COVID and its effect on the clinics um, pretty easy for them, given the fact that they didn't have any requirement or, you know, given the fact that there weren't any requirements left. So um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I would, would state. And like I said, I know it's, it's said a lot, but you don't, you don't realize how easy it is to, to decide to not go to school or go to clinics when you don't have a patient. Like it, it's easy to just roll back over and, and, and decide that you're going to sleep for another hour. But I promise you those hours translates to months or weeks that you won't have to be there. And in the end, if you, if you come in and are present and, and ready, ready to do the work. Hmm. I think the one tip that I would like to give to incoming D4s is to continue to read. Um, we are in entering a profession that is evidence-based. We are entering a profession that requires lifelong learning. Um, I think it's very important before you have a procedure to talk to somebody about it or read about it. You will see, and I know you probably have people listening to the podcast that are not Meharians, but even when I talk to other students, you will see that the experiences that we get in dental school are very minimal compared to what we'll be doing in the real world. Um, mm-hmm. that especially if you're, if you're specializing, um, everything changes, but you will be that you will be a D four doing some things that you will be completing for the first time, attempting for the first time. And you want to go in there and be pre- prepared, not just so you're in the good graces of the faculty, but also to increase your confidence. If you don't have to stop during the procedure and second guess or look something up, um, it helps you become more confident. You know that you know what you're talking about and your patients see that too. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a patient ask me, oh, is this your first time doing this? <laughs> Thank the Lord, because I see that. I just saw that the other day was one of like those horror questions that you could get because how do you respond to that? So mm-hmm. I think making sure that you look up things in advance, watch a video, ask a professor, say, hey, this is what I'm doing tomorrow and I've never done it get some feedback. That way you can go in there. You feel like you're confident. Your patient feels like you're confident and your professor feels like you're confident. They let you go and do what you need to do. Yeah. And two, be, be excited about what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like I, I know that, you know, for many people, they'll, they'll realize or they'll come to um, terms with what specialty they're going to if they're pursuing a specialty um, around, around that time. Like in the D4 year, you'll find out you know, what that'll look like for you. But at the core of it all, you know what I mean? This is exactly what we came here to do. You know what I mean? Like we, 
this is what everybody was waiting for. These, these procedures, the patient interaction. Um, and a lot of that is clouded and, and can, or it can become clouded in that first and second year when it's so dense and didactic work. But this is literally what we came here for, you know, for this moment. So be excited about it. Um, and, and it translates to your performance um, when, when you are, you know, so I think that's just something to keep into perspective too, um, because we get an opportunity to do something that a lot of people wanted to, to be a part of. And, and, and we are the select few that have been chosen to do it. You know, you have to remember that each time that you go into these procedures and, and these patients are looking to you oftentimes in the field of dentistry, people are coming to you, um, in, in need of immediate pain relief. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. doing a service, providing a service to someone that could be life changing. Um, it's nothing like tooth pain. I don't know how many people have actually experienced it on our side, but I know that it's something that can really um, be quite agonizing. So to have the opportunity to serve somebody in a way that relieves pain, pain and gives them peace again, um, is an, it's an honorable thing to be a part of. And I think another thing to consider, and this is for anybody, but especially as a fourth year, just really just try to make sure that you, you stay true to your own values and you just remain ethical. Yes. Fourth years, we are grinding to get out. Like I need to see mm. this patient. I need to get these requirements, but always remain ethical. Um, staying a couple extra hours or staying an extra week. Um, it will always be more acceptable. Um, than cutting corners mm-hmm. because you aren't doing your patients any service. You're doing a disservice to your patient. If you do that, you're doing a disservice to yourself. You're doing a disservice to the institution whose grounds you stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Make sure that you always just try and remain of as high of moral character as you can. Right. Because there are third years that are looking at you and there are second years that are looking at you in first years. Don't create that culture. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. Absolutely. So then even with all of those tips being said and, you know, with the ethical piece and everything, that's super important, right? Because we're taught that, you know, first and second year and we're just like, ah, it's just ethics. But then third and fourth year, you're really applying those things. Um, But just imagine, you know, going back four years ago to your orientation week, you know, with all of the knowledge that you know now, what will you tell those um, that are entering into their first year of dental school, uh, if you could do it all over again? Um, so I think one thing um, that I would have to, or that I wish I would have done more, was um, focused on how important the integration of all of the basic sciences are into um, your practice of dentistry. So at the end of the day, we all are seeking the title of doctor, you know what I mean? And the, the degree of doctor of dental surgery. Yeah. And it's a lot of responsibility that comes along with that title. And we're seen in light of, you know, other healthcare professionals that are at the top of the industry. And I think that my first year, um, I, I, I put a lot of emphasis on trying to pass and do well in the basic science courses, but not really valuing its integration into to dentistry, which is a, a medical practice. Um, and I, I kind of I isolated those, these subjects that all actually function as a unit 
in what we understand to be dentistry. So um, I think, and with that as well, it, it clouded my um, really, really just my motivation um, when when courses got difficult. First year is a difficult pre, uh, period of time for people because at a lot of schools it is probably one of the years that you'll have the highest credit load and it just comes along with the transition of going from undergrad or from work life back into school, but probably one of the most difficult forms of schooling that you will experience up to this point. So when, when you get into those classes and they pick up the pace, which they will do, it's inevitable. Um, if you have some type of foresight in what bio, what biochem or what microbiology place will be in dentistry um, or how these things can benefit and work together to make you a better holistic dentist. I think that it makes going through those courses a little bit easier and it gives purpose to them um, aside from just trying to achieve a grade, which is important. You know, you want to do well, but at the end of the day, the goal is for you to be able to integrate this information to your practice of a, as a dentist. And with, without that, you know, it's kind of missed its objective in the first place. So, if I had to do anything differently, so earlier we mentioned, Ken mentioned be, be at the clinic, be there. Um, yeah, I didn't really do that. <laughs> um, because it's, um, especially as a second, like I told, like I mentioned earlier, I would go home. Um, my day is over, I would go home. And that was great for the first years, but third year, as a as a third year, we didn't have as many patients. So I would have clinic time where I would go ahead and leave. Um, and even though with before I didn't finish before we had the COVID-19 pandemic that began that kind of derailed our education, but I would have finished by mid April. Um, we had that not taken place, but if I believe, I truly believe that had I been there and taken advantage of those opportunities, especially during my third year, during that critical time, um, things would have been a little bit easier, <laughs> a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. I think too, that that third year is intimidating. Um, it's, it's difficult because it's the first year that you're integrating. And this is not the scary Taylor. Cause I'm like, walking into <laughs> right. <laughs> talking about <laughs> confidence over here. Yeah, right. it's, a, it, it's a little scary because it's the first year that you're, um, you're expected to integrate the information that you took from first and second year into a, a clinical or practical sense. Um, and it's, it's the first year that you're having to take classes dually while seeing patients, um, sometimes seeing patients for procedures that you haven't got to in your class yet, which mm. is, is why it's so important what Asia said about making sure that you go um, and you do your work. You have autonomy over, you know, the way that experience can go to some degree. And you go for, make, you make sure that you go forth and you do your work to make sure that you're competent um, in the procedures that you, you decided to take on. You know what I mean? So that year can be difficult just because it's, it's, it's a, it's new territory. I mean, honestly, I feel like third year almost felt like a different school. You know what I mean? It was just cause oh, it was wow. so different yeah. um, from first and second year, but to even piggyback off that, I could, I could add in another piece of advice, even for that. Like, I think that it's so important to recognize when you don't know something, you know what I mean? Um, and be willing to ask for help, but be confident enough to know that you will know something. You will, you will get it. It's, it will come. Um, you have the support of the, the class above you. You have the support of our world-renowned faculty and, and staff that have presented at all type of dental, organized dental conferences around the world. Like, you have the support that you need there. Um, 
the thing is, like I said, just having that balance between when you need to ask for help, but also being confident enough to take on things because everything is going to have to be a first in that clinic. It's going to have to happen. You're never going to be comfortable with anything um, that you haven't tried before. You have to try them and do it in order to become confident or comfortable with it. So um, with that, you know, it's going to be, y'all going to have some opportunities to do some things um, like kind of spur of the moment, you know what I mean? Um, that you haven't done before. And a lot of that is going to come with being present on those days that you didn't expect that you were going to have anything. Um, and I would encourage um, you guys specifically, I know we're talking about the first year class, but also I just want to encourage you guys specifically um, to make sure that you're taking um, advantage of all those opportunities. Don't turn away from procedures. You know, you, you need, you need to be a competent dentist in order to do that. You have to practice dentistry. It's, it's scary, but do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you're not, you're not going to not be afraid. You just have to do it scared. And that's okay. <laughs> you have the support. All right. And word of mouth is a segment of the show where we break the ice, have some fun and allow our listeners to really get to know us. So our first sub segment is OMG or Oh My Gauze. And that's where we're going to be uh, having some advice for the clinic. And because we have some new dentist, (laughs) um, what is some advice, especially even for my class, um, rising D3s, what is some advice or is there a specific clinic story that sticks out um, that you think can maybe help us or even if it's something lighthearted? Definitely. So all my Meharians listening in, everybody knows (laughs) Genesis. Never yep. <laughs> be afraid to go back to Genesis. I mean, you will go back there more than you would like, but do not be afraid of it. D2 class fixed prost. Um, I think I cast my gold crown seven times. Um, it was that bad. I've gone into clinic and I've made impressions seven times. <laughs> um, but don't be afraid of that, especially when you get in this clinical setting. You will be better for it. You are increasing your experience and you are doing the best thing for the patient, if you say, hey, this is, not, this is not what I want, this is not the best that I can give you, can you give me a couple of minutes and let me fix this? Let me adjust this margin before I call my faculty member over. Let me go ahead, if you can give me 30 seconds, let me go ahead and mix this up and take another, make another impression. Um, so just don't be afraid to go back to Genesis or to say, give me a couple more minutes so that you can give your patient the best care that, you, that you're able to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is that similar to what I was going to say. Um, it, in really, in, in light of taking pride in your work, you know, like dentistry is an is an art. Uh, it is it is a, a business. It is a, to some degree a form of engineering. You know, it, it requires a lot of time and a lot of um, I guess just wherewithal to commitment of, of producing what worth work worthwhile. And I think that as long as you take pride in your work, you don't have issues with what Asia just said, like potentially having to go back and restart something or having to take a time to explain to a patient why you're not comfortable with, you know, what has been produced, but you want to produce for them the best thing that you can possible. Um, I just think that that's something, a good skill to start developing in the clinics now, because hopefully you, you'll take that on with you in practice. Um, I think it just makes for a good clinician, an ethical clinician, um, 
you know, so I think that that probably is, is what I would say is, is taking pride in your work. And it makes the moments where you do have to kind of revisit a procedure or a, a piece of work not so, so difficult because you, you want to be able to produce the best thing that you can for your patient. And another thing, and I don't know if you agree, Ken, so most dental schools, including us, require fourth years to produce a clinical portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that I wish that I would have given more attention to. I think you get in the hustle and bustle of the day and you're trying to work fast and you forget to take those photos. But I've been able to look back at some of my photos and look like, oh, this is some decent work, or even just to see your progression. I have photos from of preps from when I was a first year in preclinical operative one. Um, and I actually chose to go to an AEGD program that does dental photography. Mm-hmm. Um, we were required to buy cameras, lenses, flashes, um, because our program is, does a lot of aesthetic cases. And that was something of interest for me for marketing myself, marketing my practice, um, and being, um, you know, our patients, they want, they, they may care a little bit less about their oral health as they do about the aesthetics. Mm. So we talk about, you know, aesthetics, phonetics, and function, all of that. A lot of patients' main thing is aesthetics. And so if you can appeal to them on that front and then go and say, and this is why, and if we do this, this is how it will, you, this will help us develop a healthy periodontia, um, the whole nine yards. I think it, that's something that if you develop that skill in dental school, it will open the doors for you later. Well, thank you for that advice for the clinic, because uh, we definitely need that. (laughs) Um, And our next sub-segment is going to be nothing but the tooth. Um, So this is where we're going to have a more uh, deep conversational topic. Um, So with everything going on in the world and society today, uh, COVID-19, police brutality, racial injustice, uh, et cetera. Um, How are you both handling it um, as new doctors and recent graduates? And how has it impacted you personally? Um, So I I think that, so everything that you you just said is heavy, you know? Um, And I don't think there's a person in this, country and maybe even on this globe that hasn't experienced some type of effect um, of all the things that you have mentioned. Um, I think that it's important in this, for at least for me in this time to spend moments reflecting on what has my life looked like, what are ways that I feel like I can contribute through my industry and outside of my industry um, to help in, in realms of racial disparity in healthcare and um, and even just in racial equality and social welfare and things of that nature. And it's, it's interesting because this time, ironically enough, um, of isolation has given me the opportunity to find ways to navigate that um, in where in, in other realities I might not have been able to. Um, like we just talked about the hustle and bustle of dental school. It doesn't, it, it, it's, it, it's surprising how much things that are going on outside of de- the, your dental school can escape you. You know, we kind of living in a fishbowl. Um, and a lot of these topics, especially as they pertain to race and race relations in our country, have been things that I've been passionate about um, since undergrad. And I found myself losing a sense of that because of um, the, 
the magnitude in which dental school requires so you know space in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found myself losing some consciousness as that as that as it related to that and this time of COVID and of isolation and of quarantine has allowed me to tap back into um, current events, you know, tap back into what I'm passionate about and really kind of designate and design different type of ways that I can, um, as a person, be a catalyst of change in, like I said, in my industry and outside of that. Um, I think that particularly, well, specifically as it pertains to um, race and just how unfortunate representation is of African-Americans um, through different forms of media and things of that nature. I think that it's us as, as young black leaders that are now in this industry, um, we, we wear an unfair burden in the sense that um, we kind of are representation now in these spaces that we're going into um, of our community, which is unfair because, I mean, I, I don't speak for the black community and Asia doesn't either. I mean, we have opinions and um, beliefs, you know, about how we think things should be done as it pertains to race. But we, neither one of us single-handedly speaks for an entire community. But with that burden of representing them, um, I think we also do have the opportunity to shift or, or initiate dialogue and conversations in these spaces. I know I fully intend to in Michigan. Um, I'm going into a, an industry and a program that is mostly white. Um, and I don't know what their experiences have been to this to this date um, as it pertains to people of different cultures and backgrounds. But I will I fully intend, as I said, to figure that out. Um, I'm not saying that everybody has to adopt that that role. You know what I mean? But I know that that's what I'm charged to do. And I plan to do that. And it it, it makes me even more adamant about going in fully as myself, as we, we talked about earlier. Um, it's it's hard to, I would imagine that it would be hard for people to continue to view blackness and criminality as one dimensionally if they see someone that comes in that looks in the same way that the people that are charged with this, you know, uh, over over expectation of criminality, cri- well, criminality in, in a person that they share a residency with, you know, um, I... I fully intend to continue, like I said, to look the way that I look, um, which is just like my family members and my cousins on the south side of Chicago, um, because the things that I, I understand to be professionalism are are not arbitrary. You know, it's not your clothing. It's not the way your hair looks. Um, it is your timeliness, your punctuality, your dedication to the field, things of that nature. So I think that, like I said, we just have a, a we we can we can play a role in what on an interpersonal level, what people understand um, to be blackness, because it's a diaspora, it's not limited, it's not one dimensional, but unfortunately I I feel like the media oftentimes represents it as that. So here we are now in in positions where we can make sure that that is expounded upon and that that is a a narrative that can change. So I I fully intend to do that. Wow, I think one thing that, you know, kind of like that Ken mentioned, dental school expects it requires so much of you. And I know that we ask for this. Um, and I completely agree with Ken with that, with all the struggle of dental school, you kind of lose sight or you lose time to really be able to sacrifice the time to pay attention um, to what is going on in today's world. Um, I can't tell you how many times in the four years. So we started in 2016 and a lot of the stuff that we've seen has taken place in four years and having to compartmentalize 
that and to be able to see certain things and to say, to unfortunately have to say, I can't let myself focus on that right now because I have these responsibilities. Um, that was hard. Um, now it's nowhere near as hard as what those families are going through, what these communities are going through. Um, but it was hard to just, to have to say, unfortunately, although this is something I care about, I can't give it my time right now. Um, Mm. but it also gives me a greater appreciation for Meharry, um, HBCUs in general, because I was in a safe space, um, that I'll never have again in my life that none, that none of us will ever have again in our lives that allowed me to, if I wanted to have these conversations, those conversations were able to be had. We didn't have to have, um, we, we didn't have to have seminars and we didn't have to plan, um, set discussions because of our demographics. These were conversations we could have daily. Um, even during COVID, we were able to have a peaceful demonstration just days before we left the campus, um, just to show our support in a community that is undergoing extreme gentrification um, and the, pu- the pushing out of the people of color, the low income, underserved communities mm-hmm. that we serve. And to be able to participate in that peaceful demonstration and to see all of the people of color, all of the all of those in such an underserved community, to see them seeing us in our white coats and to know that their doctors, their dentists um, are able to just show our solidarity, um, it meant a lot to me. We were out there and people were honking their horns and waving and pulling out cell phones. A young man, a photographer even got out of his car and came to take photos and he, w- he was just so thankful. Like. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even prepared for this, but I had to come document this moment. Um, So I think having that opportunity to kind of navigate all of these, the social injustice and the racial injustice that we're seeing in a safe place, such as Meharry has been really great. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think with, you know, with COVID-19, it's been a little different. Can you may agree, but I think those of us that went into a residency ha- may have just a little bit less stress than mm-hmm. those going into private practice. Um, I fully believe that dentistry is failing our class um, when it comes to licensure, licensure, licensing pathways. Um, the change is really slow. And when you look at, you know, the joint coalition to address licensing with ADEA, um, ASDA, and ADA, COVID-19 has kind of sped up that process, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We have students who, whose livelihoods are on the line. We haven't had an income for four years, and now you have people that earned good contracts and jobs that are losing them because the, the avenues and the pathways for us to get licensed are really just up in the air. Seats yeah. are limited. Students are having to travel um, and taking seats from those of us at open sites. It's really tough right now. Um, but being able to, knowing that I had a residency spot kind of lessened that burden on me. Um, I've carried on, you know, the best that I could without having that added stress. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think this is when, when the conversation starts about, um, just like larger entities and institutions that thrive off of financial gain. Um, and I think that 
like in this industry, we know that um, a large reason why there has been so much discourse and disconnect between a uh, joint um, process for licensing dentists has been surrounded around finances and money and, and states um, potential to continue to make financial gain or to have financial gain from these licensing exams. But the unfortunate part is, is that in that, that has now trumped um, just some of what I believe to be the ethical or moral value that should exist in ensuring that we have the proper amount of practitioners for the patient pool that exists. Um, we 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 might not have that moving forward, being that so many people, so many people's um, realities or just futures are are unsure at this moment because licensing exams have not provided an avenue for people to obtain licensure. Um, so I, I mean, I think that this is another charge and and reasons why me and Asia have had conversations about continuing to be involved in organized dentistry um, because things have to change; they have to. And I think that something as painful and unprecedented as COVID-19 has exposed that on a level that I don't think anything else could have. Um, so I'm hopeful in what should be a very robust change to come for the field of dentistry because um, what has, like I said, just been kind of a disastrous situation has shined a bright, bright light on the holes that we have right now in our institutions. Um, one other thing, just to kind of tie in um, the the idea of mental health and wellness that we talked about some earlier. I think that it is particularly important for people that um, may struggle with any type of mental health um, concerns or issues right now, given the, the, the world that we're living in, to be sure to seek out help, you know, make sure that you have an opportunity to talk to people. Um, you know, maybe this is the time that, you know, you get in, in some type of session or, uh, you know, to figure out what you need at this moment to just ensure that you're at your, your best mentally. I know that, that, you know, being that we have COVID-19 and um, what has just really been a highlight on racial um, injustice going on right now in police brutality, I know it's particularly difficult um, for people of color right now to navigate this space that we're in. And I think that this is, is the prime time to go and, um, just kind of figure out what you need to to maintain some level of mental fortitude through all of this. And I think that for a lot of people, that could be some form of therapy. Um, and as few, as doctors now in this industry as well, it's, it's so important that we make sure that we take care of ourselves, both physically and mentally, given the stresses of what's going on, because ultimately our job is to serve. Um, and it's hard to be a true servant um, in a time where you're not taking care of yourself. So you know, it's, it's, it's so important to just make sure that you are functioning as your apex and whatever that looks like for you or whatever you need to do to get to that point. But, you know, just making sure that we are taking care of ourselves in this moment um, so that we actually can be of service to other people. I think that's one thing um, that I've actually learned from Ken during this because we've had a lot of conversations um, in taking care of yourself. Um, I think it's important to understand that it's okay to step back from having these hard conversations. It's okay to say, I'm not, I can't have this conversation right now. And it's okay to let your friends that are non people of color know that you don't speak for every person of color 
you don't have to speak for every person of color and your successes should never be used as justification for their biases or Mm -hmm. as a way to deny any biases that they may have. Um, Dr. Asia Brianne Greenleaf (laughs) is no better than any other person of color, um, is no better than any other person from an impoverished background and should not be used as your friend to say that you have as proof that you are not biased and or racist. Um, and we are not the, the friends that you should use as the excuse to say, well, they are not like you. George mm-hmm. Floyd wasn't like you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you're ready to have these conversations, that's perfectly fine. When you're ready to have that self-reflection and have those talks, that's great. Um, but use this time to practice some self-care, to take care of your mental, to check on your friends, but just remain aware that you can step back and learn when you should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Cause you guys definitely brought up a good point with everything going on, with everything being so heavy. Um, I always preach, you know, you cannot uh, serve from an empty vessel at all. Um, and because of that, you know, you're right. We do have to ca- take care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, and physically um, and psychologically. Um, and with that, even then, it's it's hard for us to even go on social media all the time. Um, us being in quarantine, it's like, okay, it's not much to do. But just like what you guys said before, you know, how you guys prevent b- burnout, you know, going out for a walk or even, you know, having some exercise, uh, calling up family members, calling up friends, checking in on them because our mental health is so important. Um, and trying to eliminate that stigma uh, I, something that I do like during this time, um, having the uh, telemedicine kind of deal right now with um, therapists that are able to, you know, FaceTime you and talk to you that way. So you're not alone um, through this whole thing. And we are all going through this together. Um, and there are a lot of resources out there, especially during this time that can help with uh, mental health and everything like that. Absolutely. Um, But I do thank you guys (laughs) for being on the show. Um, Congratulations on all of your success. You know, you guys are doctors. That is awesome. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, because it was a long, hard road to get there, I'm sure. Um, And uh, are there any... um, farewells or remarks that you guys have? Yes, definitely. I would just like to thank you for allowing us to join you today. Um, I'm, I've been excited from day one when you guys started this venture. Um, <laughs> I would like to also remind you and all of your listeners, all of the Meharians, non-Meharians, to always try and praise the bridge that carried you over. Be thankful for the lessons. Be thankful for the mistakes that have taught you something. The mentors, the classmates, Um, everything that has gotten you where you are today and where you will be tomorrow, where you will be in two years when you're in our shoes and you're finished. Um, Always try and find that silver lining. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have to definitely echo that. 
Um, super, super honored to have been um, a guest today, Taylor. I think that this is one of the coolest things that I've seen since I've been at Meharry. And I'm happy that you guys have the, um, the wherewithal and the platform to even have conversations like this because I wish that um, I was just a little bit more in, in tune with what was going on, you know, during my first, second, and third year. Um, and I think that the last thing that I would feel like I could kind of bid you adieu with is, is that even know that we're living um, in some extremely trying times. I still always want to encourage people um, to be present. Um, I think that that's something that I've kind of had to learn along the way throughout dental school. Um, usually once you get to the point where you you have decided to aspire toward dental school and then have then gained acceptance into dental school, it's, it's clear that you are an ambitious person. Um, I think a lot of the times ambition and anxiety can parallel each other. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times ambitious people are... Um, are anxious uh, and they, they, their minds can take them two to three weeks ahead of where they actually are. Um, and I think that one thing that I have gained um, in the last year or two being um, in clinics and, and being towards the end of this journey of dental school is um, putting an emphasis and being intentional about being present. There's so many beautiful things that are happening even in the midst of this chaos that you can miss um, if you're not here. You know, so that would that would be something that I would strongly encourage you all to be. Um, don't get caught up in destination happiness. I've, I've had mm-hmm. that that plight before. You know, um, I'll be happy as soon as I get into dental school. I'll mm-hmm. be happy as soon as I graduate from dental school. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be happy along the way. You know what I mean, enjoy the journey that comes along with that. Um, you you guys that are have been blessed enough to be a part of whatever dental school that you're a part of are a select few, a very, very small margin of people that have been given an opportunity to serve in this way. And it's a blessing. Enjoy it and be present while it happens. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you guys for that. Um, and of course, that is all that I have for today. Um, but I do like to leave off with something to make you guys smile. So I do have a corny joke. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully you guys laugh. I know I don't have Jasmine and Bradley with me today. Sometimes they try and force a laugh, you know. To <laughs> um, okay. So, and I got this joke from my roommate. Shout out to Devon. Um, what is something that 50 Cent did when he got hungry? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 58. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> and part of that is me laughing at myself because it took me a second to register that still. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm glad you guys thought it was funny because uh, Jasmine and Bradley never think my jokes are funny. They just try it. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, Well, that's all that I have for today, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Pod for more updates on the show, and be sure to give us a shout-out. Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The The Occlusal Table. Table!
Thank you.